Oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And again, unfortunately, flying solo for this episode, but don't worry. Don't tune us off just yet. We got a loaded show with the SEC spring meetings taking place in Destin, Florida right now. Big topics on the line. We got a number of comments and quotes from SEC coaches, several of them here on the show. And Greg Sankey dropping some big-time hints about the future of the SEC. It's what we've been talking about. So let's just jump right into the action here. And we're going to start with, uh, now again, nothing's official at this point because no voting has taken place yet. Anyone telling you, I've seen a couple people out there, you know, the votes are at 8-8. Eight and eight. Things are split. We, we can't decide on, on who's going where and why and all this. All that's BS. I'm calling BS on it because no voting has taken place. Yet Greg Sankey, on Tuesday here, biggest revelation, I think, so far to come out of SEC media days, the SEC is leaning towards single division. Well, what he's really trying to say there is no divisions. Get rid of East and West. Just going full tilt. All 16 in a division, if that's what you want to call it. But one league really is uh, what he's referencing there. And that suggests, once again, that we're headed towards that. I guess we can't even call it pods anymore. But that's <laughs> it's, that's exactly what it is. I don't know why they're, they're getting away from the, the word pods. But basically, the biggest decision yet to be determined is Eight-game SEC conference schedule or a nine-game SEC conference schedule. According to Lane Kiffin, that's what's being discussed down there. Uh, we do not have a, have a rev- resolution on that just yet. But again, same thing we've been talking about. If we go to nine, we're going to have three permanent rivals and six rotating conference games every year. But again, they're not wanting to call it pods. And I know that's very confusing. But here's the example I gave out on Twitter Uh, Let's say that Texas A&M, your three permanents, again, I'm just, this is all hypothetical, nothing's official, but let's say Texas A&M is scheduled to play LSU, Texas, and Arkansas every single season. Now, because there's no pods, what what this potentially means is Arkansas is not, while they'll be locked into playing Texas A&M every year, not necessarily locked into playing LSU and Texas. So they're not going to have the same four locked in a pod, so to speak. I think that's what they're trying to get away from. They're trying to get away from, you know, well, we won pod A. Well, this team won pod B. This one won pod C. This one won pod D. How do we go four pod winners to a two-game conference championship game? If you look at it that way, you could understand why, you know, it's getting a little hectic here. But same model we've been talking about all Offseason leading up, if you missed it, breaking down the eight game or the nine game SEC conference schedule, that is still on the agenda. But one other big revelation here from Greg Sankey we all know about the 12 team college football playoff that uh, Greg Sankey and the SEC were pushing for this time last year. And of course, that obviously has not taken place. Uh, we're sticking with the four team playoff for now. Greg Sankey has said the SEC would support an eight-team 
college football playoff, provided there's no automatic qualifier. So, you know, what what he means by that, the SEC champ, Big Ten champ, Pac-12 champ, on and on and on. We do not want these champions to be guaranteed spots. Why? Because we all know, if you're a fan of this show, the second best team in the SEC, you're probably the second best team in the country. Third best team in the SEC, you're probably a top five team in the country and so on. So if we're giving out automatic bids to all these loser conference champion winners, SEC teams are going to suffer. So that is uh, somewhat of a concession there that I have not heard up until Tuesday. The SEC would support an eight-team college football playoff, again, with no automatic qualifiers. That's the key there, uh, according to Greg Sankey. And again, this that's something that... Uh, you know, we'll go weeks and weeks and months and months before uh, getting any resolution on that because it's not solely up to the SEC. But just wanted to make that note uh, kind of a big revelation there, in my opinion, from the league meetings down there in Destin. Now, like I said, we've got a number of SEC comments here. I was able to track down. Unfortunately, I don't have the video for you guys on the YouTube, so I got to get creative here. But I was able to track down audio for a number of the SEC coaches that spoke here on Tuesday and we'll start with Eli Drinkwitz Missouri coach of course first one at the podium on Tuesday it asked uh you know a lot of the same stuff you'd think NIL Saban Fisher that feud going on had some interesting comments but he was asked about JT Daniels transfer quarterback of course that was a target of Missouri who went to uh, West Virginia ended up going there but you know how does NIL factor into these transfer recruitments and I thought this was pretty interesting I mean Drinkwitz seems to indicate that that may have played a part in JT Daniels uh, decision here thoughts on the eight or nine game SEC schedule not something I had considered but of course Drinkwitz you know his first year in the SEC was the uh, 2020 COVID year where the SEC had 10 game SEC slates you know maybe uh, again that's not something I had considered but guys like Drinkwitz Sam Pittman you know, they know whether they can handle it, a, a nine-game SEC schedule because, hell, they've already done it, a 10-gamer. So, you know, that's just something to, to think about. And uh, he was also asked about uh, quarterback that they added via the transfer portal, Jake Abram from Mississippi State. And finally, I just thought this was some tremendous stuff here from Drinkowitz. All this complaining from all these coaches. Drinkowitz, this was probably the, my favorite comment of the entire event here on Tuesday, really putting things into perspective. He's been a high school coach. He's had to work his way up just to land this opportunity. Now he's taking private jets down to Destin, Florida. You're not going to get this man to complain about the current state of college football, and I wish more coaches shared this sentiment. Coach, uh, Mike Griffiths from AGC Dog Nation. So when you talk with a potential signing or transfer just use JT Daniels for an example. How do you present the uh, NIL um, situation to someone like that that's, that's a quote-unquote free agent on the market? How do you recruit guys that are obviously in the market for such deals like that? Well, um, that was an interesting person that you picked right there. Um, <laughs> no, I, you know, you have to operate within the framework of the NCAA rules and the guidelines that they've uh, established, but then you also have to follow the frameworks of your own state law um, and so, you know, our state law allows us to uh, make comparisons but not uh, provide inducements. So really the only thing that we can do is say this is what somebody on our team has 
uh, potentially done. Um, but we're not able to say, you know, if you come here, then you would receive this. That's 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 illegal and uh, not appropriate conversation. So I think the biggest thing is just again focusing on what the University of Missouri can do, AAU institution uh, that's got uh, 6.5 million people in a population. It's got two large metropolitan cities, both top 25 cities in the country, um, and media bases and marketing plant uh, marketing areas, and so. Uh, again, a person is able, with the original intent of NIL, to create value for themselves by uh, becoming a good player and then utilizing their name, image, and likeness to uh, generate interest from companies in order to use them. And so that, that's really our, have been our approach is to talk about uh, you know, the fact that um, we, we have 10 Fortune 500 companies within our state. It's the fourth largest uh, in the SEC footprint behind uh, Texas, Florida, Georgia, I believe. And so it allows us to, to utilize those conversations, but never in a way that would be an inducement that said, if you do this, then you'll receive this. On the scheduling, eight conference games, yeah. nine conference games yeah. for the future of the conference. Um, what would you think about a potential increase from, from eight to nine if we were to head in that direction? Well, I mean, obviously this is uh, um, the most difficult um, conference in college football and so adding another game to that is is obviously a challenge uh, especially when you're at the University of Missouri but again my first year in, in this league we played 10 SEC games and managed it fairly well and so uh, I, again you know everybody has opinions based off what their initial information is I'm here to gather more information I'm sure there's going to be more justification I'm sure uh, Herb's going to tell to tell us a little bit more about the media side of it. I'm sure that uh, Mark is going to be able to share uh, more about the competitive advantages one way or the other, and I'm sure Commissioner Sankey's going to share his justification for either one, and then we'll be able to make a decision. But uh, I'm not the type of person that's going to just make a decision based off of uh, not having all the information and, and that's what these meetings are for is to gather all the information and then make educated decisions the one thing i know about college football currently is that the past two years have been the most interruption in college football since i've been alive i can't say it's uh in the history of college football but the most that i've so i don't know that we'll ever have uh just a set direction and answer moving forward but we got to do the very best we can we got to continue to move forward uh you know, with, with the information we have. But I don't want to rush to judgment. Did that 10-game schedule make it easier to digest when you first heard nine games? Um, yeah, probably so. Yeah, probably so. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've been public before that, you know, we had 10 games and got Alabama and LSU added to it. So I don't know that you could have any more of a shock than that. So. Eli, is eight versus nine games the main sticking point? Or are there... Honestly, I don't know. I, I, I was given... Uh, the eight game, nine game, um, and then some of the information I've read out there, I, I haven't been able to verify. So hopefully we'll get that information today. What attracted you to Jack Abraham as a transfer quarterback? Yeah, you know, Jack uh, uh, became a possibility for us. You know, our, our quarterback room has two younger guys on it, and so we were looking for somebody with some experience uh, who could provide uh, you know, in our first six games, we have three on the road and, and three really difficult environments in Manhattan, Kansas, Auburn, Alabama, and Gainesville, Florida. 
Um, and so to have some experience in that room we, we thought would be a valuable thing. And then we have the uncertainty of, of, of Sam Horn and his uh, ability. I mean, he's an incredibly gifted player. He's got the ability to play Major League Baseball, and he's going to have to make a decision uh, in regards to his future after the draft. And so felt like for the sake of our team, we needed to make sure we had enough uh, firepower in that room and look forward to seeing all four of those guys really compete and, and uh, excited about that start of the day. And what you know about that room right now, is, is there a leader among the group? Nope. Have you noticed it's harder to hold on to coaches, given now not just having to recruit an athlete, but now you're having to recruit them to stay on the roster? Is it more grinding? Coaches or players? Coaches. Is, you said it's harder to keep coaches? Yeah. Like, the grind is much more now that the recruiting even of your roster never stops. We're pretty blessed to have these jobs, man. I coached high school football. I painted lines in the summer and opened weight rooms, and, and I got to fly down here on a private jet, man. <laughs> sitting at the beach so like I'm not yeah is it hard absolutely do we have the greatest jobs in in the world absolutely absolutely I mean so I, I think I think no way that I'm going to turn this into a poor me deal I mean but for your assistants too yeah I mean they, they yeah it's tough uh, but when you're passionate about something and you have a purpose bigger than yourself I think that's what fuels you and, and gets you through um, but there's long days, but there's great rewards too. And uh, I think we've got a great profession. It's worth fighting for. It's worth uh, being a part of. But I'm not. I'm not going to sit up here and act like it's. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of jobs out there that are very difficult. And uh, so, no, nah, I'm not. Not buying on that one. So again, tremendous stuff there, particularly there at the end from uh, Coach Strickwitz. I really appreciated that. Good stuff there from the Missouri head coach uh, Shane Beamer. Of course, South Carolina head coach, this is his first spring meetings. He spoke here on Tuesday as well. Again, asked about the eight or nine game schedule in the SEC. Where's he lean with that? Uh, of course, those Gamecock fans know they've got arguably the toughest schedule annually in the country when you figure you got to get the SEC slate, you throw Clemson on there annually, you throw Texas A&M on there annually, which, again, that may be going away if we get rid of divisions, which – Looks to be happening. So I thought that was interesting. Beamer was asked how he'd react if uh, someone like Nick Saban said, you know, South Carolina bought their entire recruiting class. Intra-conference transfers, it doesn't sound like Shane Beamer is on board with pushing this back. The current deadline, of course, in the SEC, February 1. You've got to be in the transfer portal by February 1 if you want to be eligible to play in the SEC if you're transferring from an SEC's program, I should have mentioned, across the country that deadline's May 1. So, you know, there's some debate. Will the SEC get with the rest of the nation and move that to May 1? doesn't sound like Shane Beamer is fully on board with that idea. And then last but not least, these, these comments went kind of viral here on Tuesday. NIL, did that play a factor with Spencer Rattler coming to South Carolina? Shane Beamer says, hell no, that wasn't even mentioned. When it comes to, to the future conference scheduling, um, what do you think about the possibility of adding a, a ninth conference game, and do you have a preference for how you'd like to see the conference align go Yeah, I think we've all got our individual opinions that, you know, I'll keep to myself right now. I know that's going to be a big point of discussion for us uh, this afternoon as we as we go into meetings, and and certainly I see the, uh, the merit in both of them, and, and 
and there's positives and, and, and things that maybe aren't so positive and, and whatnot. But I don't know if every school is going to be totally happy with the way it finishes up, but we're all team players and we all want to do what's best, you know, for the, uh, uh, for the SEC, you know, and frankly, we're, we're in a position at, in, in, in our situation already. I mean, I don't know if there's a school in the country that has a tougher schedule year in, year out than what we face already at South Carolina. And the fact that we play in the East with Georgia, we play our crossover team is Texas A&M right now. And then our in-state rival uh, is Clemson, you know. So right away, you look at our schedule in 2022, you guys are, are the experts. I mean, the preseason rankings that you guys put out, I would imagine three of those six or, or three of those teams are going to be in the top six teams in the country. And and that's been pretty consistent here for a while, you know. So we already face a, a challenging schedule year in, year out. So whether we're playing nine conference games or, or eight, um, it, it will still be a challenge. But I look at it, look at it as a positive. We talk about competition in our program all the time. We talk about competing, and in my mindset and our players' mindset, we we get to go play that schedule. You know, we get to play Clemson each year. We get to play uh, nine SEC teams or eight SEC teams, whatever it may be. So eager to get in there and discuss it and, and at the end do what's best for, for, for the SEC. Lose sight of that either. How do you think you would react if a colleague accused you of buying your entire recruiting class? Um, you know, that's um, – that's, uh, <laughs> I'll stay away from that one. So, yeah, sorry. I uh, no, I mean, I, we we all put a lot of work into recruiting and and um, and uh, a lot of time and effort, without a doubt. And you know, certainly we all try and do things the right way, myself included. And and um, you know, I'll leave it at that. This year for us, Does at least. Does it concern you that it could open the floodgates even further for you know cross conference? Yes. Yeah. Going back to. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brandon. No, I was just I was just going to say. I mean. Uh, how so for you personally? Uh, I mean, I just it's this is the best conference in America. This is where school players they want to come play in the SEC, and um, um, you know, there's a lot of great programs in the SEC, and there's a lot of uh, relationships, you know, here within the SEC, and and uh, when you're talking about players going from SEC school to SEC school, gets you know, it can get tough. I mean, we we. Uh, had someone transfer into our program from the University of Georgia, you know, right after the national championship game. And, and you know, um, it's part of it, you know. There's an argument, well, if they're going to leave, you want to keep them in the SEC. So, you know, they're not going to other conferences. And then there's also the argument that, you know, you don't want to have them going to the SEC and jumping from school to school and things like that. So I can see both sides of it. And, again, I go back to, you know, that'll be a lot, a big topic of discussion in the next couple of days and, you know, kind of see where it goes uh, on that one as well. I'm eager to hear um, thoughts on both sides. What role did uh, NIL play when Spencer Rattler decided to come to South Carolina? If from our end, none. You know, um, now I know he's worked out some deals since he came to South, since he came to South Carolina and good for him. But on the front end, uh, nothing. You know, our conversations, my conversations with Spencer and his dad, NIL never came up. We got on a Zoom call with he and his entire family. NIL never came up. It was us selling everything that we have at the University of South Carolina to offer academically, athletically, and socially uh, in Columbia is what we sold, which is what we do with all of our prospects as well when they come through. You know, we don't, we don't bring them in on recruiting visits and, and – you know, have a one-hour NIL education session with them. You know, some schools do. We haven't gotten to that point yet. And I'm not saying it hasn't come up in recruiting with other prospects, Mark, but but with Spencer, zero. What does it say about your program that you get 
Shane Rattler without the NIL deal? Mm -hmm. What say about your program? I think that they see uh, what this program can be, and, and I've said it before, Jimmy, like we have everything that we need to be successful at South Carolina. We've proven that we can win at a high level uh, in football. You know, we did that 10 years ago. Uh, my last year at South Carolina, we beat Alabama, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, and Clemson all in the same season my last year. You know, Coach Spurrier had three straight wins, three straight seasons of 11 wins or more. We've won national championships. Don just did it in women's basketball. Coach Tanner did it in baseball. And we've won national championships. So we, we – we, we have what we need to be successful. And, and more importantly, we have the people, you know, in my opinion. And I think Spencer saw that. If you ask Spencer why did he come to South Carolina, there's a lot of reasons. But obviously I had a relationship with him at Oklahoma. But if I'm coaching it at um, wherever, some, somewhere in the Conference USA, I don't know if he's going to come follow me. Probably not. Uh, he came to South Carolina because he believed in what, you know, we're doing. And, and um, you know, he saw the opportunity to, you know, really maximize his, his abilities on and off the field. All right, so some interesting comments there from Shane Beamer. No doubt Spencer Rattler not motivated by the NIL, at least in his transfer recruitment. And, hell, you know, I tend to believe him because it doesn't matter if he's going to South Carolina or Southern Cal. Name your Power 5 program. Spencer Rattler is going to have his opportunities. The guy's already made a fortune at Oklahoma with the NIL opportunities, and he's continued that there in Columbia. So interesting comments. Kirby Smart, next on the docket here, the reigning national champion, eight or nine game SEC schedule. That's something Kirby weighed, weighed in on along with divisions going away. Is that something Georgia even wants? They've been dominating the SEC East since uh, basically Kirby's second year there in Athens on coaches having disagreements. This was a funny comment here. Kirby letting loose a little bit here with these Mickey Mouse comments. And then uh, – Georgia always seems to play a really tough opponent right out the gate. That is something that Kirby Smart loves to see. They got that again with the Oregon Ducks. Dan Lanning and company traveling to Atlanta to face the Georgia Bulldogs with, a, of course, a familiar face under center of Bo Nix, now Oregon's quarterback. Of course, he's not won the starting job, but that is the expectation. So Kirby Smart tackles all that. And he loves the fact that Georgia's got uh, what appears to be a tough opponent right out the gate. Kirby, uh, three years ago, we are referring back to, uh, I think we were talking about the LSU game, and I think as a student athlete, you talked about that being one of your memories and wanting to see your players. At the time, you were in favor of a nine-game model. Has anything changed with that? Is that still a more priority in your viewpoint on that? I'm always excited to have great matchups. Um, you have to walk a fine line. There's, I don't think there's a coach in his right mind that's going to say, in a perfect world, I think it's eight games, nine games, because there's so much more involved than just what the coach wants. Um, there's a lot to do with television contracts. There's a lot to do with making sure everybody gets to play um, a fair schedule. Um, it's hard when you look at it and you look at the options out there. There's a lot of options. Uh, I'm for what gives the student athlete the best experience of being in our conference. Um, we've got two more teams on the horizon, and uh, that changes the dynamic as well. So uh, there's nothing wrong with the nine-game schedule, but that may not be the best thing for the conference right now. So I, you know, I think it's a lot more about who you play in those other games than necessarily a nine-game schedule. And we've been very aggressive in terms of scheduling and trying to schedule opponents out in the future that make great matchups because I want the University of Georgia to play in big games. So whether that's an extra SEC game or a, 
another Power Five opponent that uh, attracts our fan base and excites our fan base, then so be it. But I don't have a stance in terms of this is what's best or that's what's best because it changes as our conference changes. You've had a lot of success uh, in the SEC East, so I guess there's a future possibility of uh, no divisions. What, what are your thoughts on that, and do you have any thoughts on uh, you know the three permanent rivals if they go in that direction? Well, there's a lot of options on the table, probably more than you guys even uh, mentioned, but I'm not into whether we have divisions, pods, permanent rivals. I'm into what's best for our conference, and that's long-term what's best for our conference, what gives us the best opportunity to create uh, national champions, um, and not trying to look at it through a straw of only what's best for Georgia because sometimes those two are hard to coexist. If you try to keep 14 or 16 teams happy, there's not a model for that, right? Somebody's going to have something they dislike within that model. So um, it's about the student athletes and their experience uh, more so than just the scheduling. Is that hard to figure out what's best when you're not entirely sure what the CFP format is beyond 2025? Probably, but again, we can change that within conference anytime we need to. So it's really just more about what we think fits best for the model moving forward. I'm excited about the potential to have two teams. I'm excited about the leadership within our conference um, that helps make those decisions. They have the hardest decisions to make, guys, because they've got 14 members um, that are not going to all agree on one thing. I'm, I'm, I'm smart enough in politics to know that you're not going to have 14-year constituents all out there clapping and happy. So there has to be a, a method of madness, and somebody has to make the ultimate, ultimate decision on what's best. Um, and I just think long-term, having been in this conference for 28 years in some way, shape, or form, that it's the best conference there is. So let's keep it that way. How surprised are you that Nick and Jimbo, two coaches you know very well, are coming into this meeting not speaking to each other? We don't speak to each other, any of us. So, I mean, let's not. When Nick Saban calls you, though, or Jimbo calls you, you answer the phone, right? No, they don't call. I mean, I don't call them. I mean, there's not a lot of, there might be some uh, conversation between a few guys, a few relationships, if you've been on the staff uh, with somebody. I talked to Will when Will was the head coach some, but it's not commonplace for, for guys to be reaching out and, and be friendly when you compete on the field, and we're constantly competing for prospects day in and day out, so it's not super unusual to me. But it is super Along unusual. those lines, though, I hope you understand the question, Kirby. <clears throat> Since you've worked with Nick, so did Jimbo. Jimbo cast some serious excursions at Nick Saban the way he does his job. Was any of that uh, justified or grounded, in fact, in your experience? be honest with you, I, I, my phone started blowing up right when Jimbo hit press conference and I haven't thought about it a day since because in the world that we operate in, you're worried about what's in front of you right now, which is the 15 recruits I'm trying to get on the phone, the conversations I'm trying to have. have I'm not really worried about a feud between two guys that used to sit in the same staff meeting and have similar conversations. I mean, at the end of the day, Sometimes things get heated. You'd rather not be in the in the, in the public uh, arena, but at the end of the day, things like that happen. I mean, you guys should be on the headphones sometime. You'd think that was a Mickey Mouse. So um, it just so happened in front of everybody, and it's not something that I prefer to comment on. To be honest with you, I'm, I'm worried about what we do at Georgia, and that's my focus. How much does having Oregon out there and then so many of your players knowing Dan and knowing what he's all about, how much does that kind of keep people on task? Yeah, I want that every year. I mean, I'd love to have 
an opener of that caliber, that's the goal is that your off season's geared around um, your conference play, but who do you open with? What kind of excitement can you generate for the off season? And, and Oregon gives us that opportunity. You planned and uh, strategized against Bo and played against Bo Nix three times during his career life when he was at Auburn. So how did you see him as a challenge to go up against defensively and, and what your initial thoughts are of him getting back with a coordinator who's played with before and what, what that overall present to you? Yeah, he's a great athlete. Uh, probably one of the best athletes I've ever seen at quarterback in terms of GPS numbers, speed, overall athleticism. Uh, he's grown from being a, a freshman that was thrown in there to playing under multiple coordinators and going back to a coordinator he's familiar with should make him comfortable and uh, very talented. You know, we had a lot of draft picks on defense last year and we struggled to get him on the ground. So he's a, he's a tremendous player. Now next on the docket, Billy Napier, first time down here at the SEC spring meetings. First year running the Florida Gator program, of course. Eight or nine SEC schedule. He was asked it. Didn't really want to touch on it. But I thought a little bit better uh, comment here from Billy Napier was, you know, how has life adjusted for him going from Louisiana to Florida? He said he's damn near given up a year of his life implementing uh, his program. So I, I thought that was a pretty wild comment. And then, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen this over the weekend. I tend to notice so many people share articles with just the headline. They don't even read the damn article. They just share the headline and say, look at this damn clown. Look at this joker. And Billy Napier was a victim of that over the weekend, suggesting that Florida in no way is going to use NIL for uh, to land a recruit, which last time I checked, that's the, fucking, that's the law. I mean, they're not supposed to. So even if Florida is doing that, and I'm not saying they are, but he can't. You can't have your head coach out there saying that they are. So, what else are you expecting him to say? Florida has been very active in rewarding their current roster with NIL opportunities. I think that is what they're trying to harp on. That's basically what he was trying to say. You know, we want to support the players that are here that have earned this money. And you know, he he kind of went even a step further here, noting that hell in 1990, the SEC schools made just a little over a million dollars. Now with the uh, the ESPN deal upcoming, that is expected to be around $60 million in you know just a couple decades' time. And it'd be kind of ridiculous to say these, we're splitting up 60 million, 60 million times 16 for what the, the schools are getting just in the TV contract money and to suggest that the players don't deserve some of that money. Uh, I think this is Billy Napier uh, getting in front of uh, you know some of these NIL comments. Wondering uh, if you had uh, any thoughts on the eight-game versus nine-game SEC schedule, and, and also the possibility maybe of a division format. Ending. Yeah, well, I'll just give you the transparent answer. You know, I think I've got a little too much work in front of me right here to be having an educated opinion on it. To be quite honest. Um, Scott and I have discussed it briefly. I'm interested to hear the conversations this weekend or the next couple of days. But uh, i got a lot of work to do, you know, focused on what we've got to do right now to help the Gators improve. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Um, but don't know enough to give you an educated answer right here, to be quite honest. But nothing's going to change relative to the SEC. It's going to be a challenge. Uh, no matter how, ma how many games we play. Um, and I think we're very much getting ready to be in an adjustment period, 
you know, with adding teams and that's what the next couple of days are about to to do a lot of listening. Billy, what's been the biggest adjustment for you from Louisiana to Gainesville? Well, it's year one. You know, I th- I tell people all the time. I think the first year, uh, is you're almost giving a, a year of your life away. If that makes sense. Um, I do think that this the transition has been different because of the the portal nil. Uh, playing in the championship game, you know, making a decision to do that. Uh, the combination of December signing day in a brief amount of time, winter portal period, hiring a staff, and then getting ready for the February. I think the combination of all those was a little bit different transition than maybe any year in the past. Um, but overall, it's 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 the same work that we've all been familiar with for a long time. I mean. The new components are the portal and NIL, right? And I would tell you that everything that we intended to put together uh, at the University of Florida from a football operational standpoint is in place. Uh, and I think much like every administration and coaching staff in the country, we're in the process of solving and developing our strategy for NIL going forward. So that's really the only thing that's been unexpected or maybe a little bit harder to solve. I think all the other things are status quo, what you would expect. You know, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that this is a positive, okay, relative to uh, we're living in a different era, right? If you go back to 1990, I think I had did some research the other day, you know, each SEC institution got like $1.3 million a year from the league, right, 1990. Uh, just 13 years ago, I think it was right around six or seven million, you know, and I think this 24 deals, you know, in the high 60s, low 70s per year, right? So, you know, one of the things about my career is I've been in the profession and observed this explosion, uh, and I think that it's foolish to say that the players don't deserve a piece of the pie, you know. I mean, I think that. Um, you know, if there's no players in these stadiums, nobody's showing up to watch, and they're certainly not sitting in their home watching it on TV, right? So, um, you know, it all leads back to the money, okay? And I think that the TV industry's probably got the key to the castle, if that makes sense. So, you know, you got to get a lot of people to the table, and there's a lot of a lot of dialogue and a lot of conversations to be had to come up with a good solution. And then last but not least, of course, Nick Saban spoke. And, uh, you know, he didn't necessarily back off any of his NAL comments, but I want to hand it to this guy. I've, I've never had him on the show. I would love to at some point. But a hell of a job by uh, Olin Buchanan of Texags, the great Texas A&M site, right out the gate, challenging Nick Saban. A lot of these reporters seem terrified to challenge the goat on just about anything and uh you know he asked him about uh his comments you got any proof of all, all these you're saying texas a&m bought every damn player so listen carefully to the questions and even when nick saban's done with it, this is a long ass answer he gives buchanan olin buchanan fires right back well where's your proof you said it what you got for me so uh it was pretty wild and then again eight game or nine game sec schedule nick saban was asked about that as well 
Um, what evidence did you have that uh, Texas A&M bought its entire recruiting class? You know, I, I, I didn't really say that anybody did anything wrong. Well, you said they bought their recruiting class. I didn't say anybody did anything wrong, okay? And I've said everything I'm going to say about this. But, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, I guess the point, and I should have n never mentioned any individual institutions. I said that before. But, you know, some kind of uniform uh, name, image, and likeness, you know, standard um, that supports some kind of e equitable uh, national competition, uh, I think is really, really important in college athletics, in college football. And we've always had that, you know, whether it's equal scholarships, equal Alston money, you know, whatever it might be. And um, so that's kind of point one. You know, point two is we need some kind of transparency in name, image, and likeness deals, you know, to verify that, um, you know, players are doing what they need to do to uh, have the opportunity to, you know, make money in name, image, and likeness. And believe me, I'm all for players making as much as they can make, okay? Um, but I also think that, you know, we've got to have some uniform, transparent way to do that. Um, our players did extremely well last year um, in name, image, and likeness because they got agents, they had representation, uh, they had people who uh, wanted them to um, actually endorse something for them. And they did very, very well. And it's public record and you can see how well they did. And I think that also student athletes need some protection um, from, you know, unfair name, image, and likeness representation or deals. Um, you know, you could have a player, and we've had this happen to us in the past, that thinks he's signing one thing and he signs something else and gives up his freedom of choice in the future as to who represents him. Um, you know, we have no oversight, you know, right now for players, you know, when it comes to this. And, you know, I also think that, you know, boosters, you know, should continue to be precluded from recruiting. Um, including use of, you know, name, image, and likeness op offers, you know, prior to, you know, enrollment. So, um, you know, that's basically, you know, what I have to say about, you know, some of the things that I think we need to do from a college football perspective. This is not about Alabama. This is not about what's best for us. Um, I just hope that we can sort of put some guardrails you know, on all this. I've read something in the Wall Street Journal that said, you know, what we've done in college football, and I'm paraphrasing here, is um, put a canoe on top of our SUV to go to the lake, didn't tie it down, took off, and just hoped for the best. And um, I think that's, you know, kind of where we are right now. And uh, I, I think it's a great thing for players, um, you know, to, to have the opportunity. They've always been able to work. I've always said I've encouraged, you know, this whole name, image, and likeness thing for, you know, players to be able to earn money. So um, it's, um, it's just something that I think we need to make sure that we have a uniform way to have equitable competition. Uh, it's transparent. We protect the student-athlete. Um, and, you know, boosters have never been involved in recruiting, and uh, hopefully – you know, we'll not allow that to happen 
relative to this circumstance. Is Jimbo lying when you say when he says that uh, that they didn't do anything? I have no problem with Jimbo. I have no problem with Jimbo at all. You've long been vocal about playing more conference games. Do you support the nine game schedules or model that you prefer the three six or? Well, you know, I've always been for playing more conference games. I've always been for improving, you know, the college schedule, um, trying to eliminate, uh, you know, some of these games that you play that, you know, fans, uh, players, supporters are not really interested in. Um, I think the nine-game format is a start, you know, in that direction. Um, but, you know, what is the best model? I, I think that's the issue. You know, what is the best model? That's number one. And number two is, um, are other conferences doing the same thing? Are they going to play more conference games? Are they going to, um, you know, have the same kind of competitive balance? This always goes back to competitive balance. And when you have conferences making all these decisions, sometimes you lose a little bit of that. So. You know, if we're going to play nine conference games and we're going to end up playing probably five minimal, you know, top 15 teams in the country, and I'm talking about all of us, not just me, our team, um, w w how's that going to compare to other conferences? All right, and then what kind of opportunity, you could have a great team and lose two games in our conference and somebody else get in the playoffs because they went undefeated, but they're didn't have the same opportunity to play as many good teams. So I think all these things need to be taken into consideration, but th those are probably the two um, most significant, you know, to me. Um, and it's, it's, it's a tough act for the conference to try to get it, you know, where it's, where it's equal in terms of how I, whatever the 3-6, whatever the motto is. Ooh, boy. <laughs> now, like I said, Nick Saban is not used to uh, any reporters asking him tough questions other than maybe Paul Feinbaum uh, during SEC media days a few years back. Of course, that, that viral exchange back and forth, that was great. But uh, it's probably been that long since I've seen Nick Saban kind of face with a tough question like this. So, again, Ola Buchanan, hell of a job there. I thought that was tremendous. Uh, if you're going to say some bold comments, you got to back it up and uh, – not necessarily seeing that from Nick Saban. So, hey, that's the coverage we got from day one SEC spring meetings. Next uh, episode, we'll have a lot more comments. I know I, was, I've, I teased the SEC West team fan predictions. We will get to that. But uh, just with all the coaching comments here, I thought this would be a little bit better way to do it. I've already reached out to a guest down there covering the events down there in Destin. So hopefully get him on the line to talk about uh, covering that event and what he's hearing down there. And hopefully more viral clips, comments, concerns, everything going on at SEC Spring Meeting. So stay with us here on the next episode. I appreciate each and every one of you for checking us out. We'll catch you on the next one.